Well, I guess that's my title today. We've uh, been working uh, on love this year, right? Not just in preaching about it, but actually trying to continue to put it into our lives, right? And so that's been exciting. And, you know, we've had a few sermons out of 1 Corinthians 13, right? A few. Like, I was looking through my notes. I think I've done several myself. And yet there's still more to go, right? You know, and it was interesting. And, you know, I, I just chose today that I want to dig into the uh, love always trusts. You know, it, and 1 Corinthians says it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, misnomer is not right, not the right word, but the word there for trust is a Greek word, pisteo. I think that's how you pronounce it. That's the limit of my Greek scholarship there. But the word, uh, you know, also means to believe. And so if you go and look and say, you know, where else in the New Testament is the word believe, the same pisteo, it's, it's over 200 times. Which means if we wanted to, we could have 200 different lessons on, on love always trust. And then you really would be excited about love. <laughs> Amen. But, you know, I thought even just digging in a little bit, when you say love, you know, love always trusts, love always believes. Let's dig in this just a second here. What is that? So it could mean, you know, Matthew 21, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. Red doesn't come out very good on there, does it? <laughs> Note to self. <clears throat> Amen. So, so if you believe, if you trust, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer. You know, Mark 15. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Trust in the good news. Um, Mark 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Trust things seems important. John 2, this, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Canaan and Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their pisteo, their faith, in him. So it's even the faith. Love always has faith. You know, John 3, whoever believes the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. John 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. See, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It's the love that believes and trusts in the truth in God. So if I love someone, I need to trust and believe in them, right? If I love God... I need to trust and believe in Him. God loves me. He trusts and He believes in me. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you needed someone to come through for you? You know, my very first recollection, and I I think I probably shared this, I was about five and all the neighborhood kids climbed up into a very large tree which was probably 12 feet tall, you know, I mean, five years old. It seemed very large. It seemed 50 feet tall to me. And I was up there, and all the older neighborhood kids just climbed down and left. Or, or, I don't know, I was up there, and I could not get down. And so I relied on my older brother 
He, I, you know, I shouted for him. He came up, climbed up in the tree, and recovered me out of the tree. I probably would still be there to this day, you know, <laughs> if he hadn't come and saved me. Now, this is the same brother that also tried to flush me down the toilet, but <laughs> so he didn't always, he didn't, he wasn't always trustworthy. But at that time, <laughs> it was great, you know. You know, you can't be rescued unless you need to be rescued. You know, when you are broke down in the middle of the night on the side of the road, you call AAA. You call somebody to come rescue you because you need help in your, in, with your car. You know, when you're broken down in life and you're unable to repair your own situation, you need help. You need to be rescued. You know, the Old Testament talks about it. You know, in, in, uh, it talks about it in Numbers... Do I have a slide for this? I can't remember. I don't. Sorry. In Numbers 11, you know... The Lord talks to Moses and he says, Hey Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not what I say will come true for you. You know, Isaiah also got a similar message from the Lord. He says, Surely the Lord's Lord's arm is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. Think about that. That's a weird way. We don't think about that. Is your arm too short to save me, you know? Almost reminds you of a dinosaur, right? <clears throat> a dinosaur joke. But that's what they said. You know, do you, do you really think God is unable to reach out and to help you to save you? You know, think about it. You know, what is something that you're having a hard time believing, trusting, bestowing that God's arm is not too short? <clears throat> you know, what is He saying that you can't believe will come true for you? Take a minute, take a second here. If you're taking notes, write it down. What is that thing or things that it just feels like at times it's just hard to believe, it's hard to trust that God really wants to reach out and help me in this. Because what I want to do today is spend some time in God's Word to really help us, remind us that His arm is not too short to save us. Let's go right now in first in Second Kings chapter six. I have two points today and some reading here. We'll read, but starting off, the first one is that God can change things in a day. Let's start reading in Second in Kings chapter six and verse twenty-four. If you want to turn there, I'm, I'm not going to put them up, so I'll just start reading here. Sometime later, Ben Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of cab of seed pods for five shekels. Okay, just to put that in framework, I, other translations, excuse me, don't call it seed pods. They call it dove's dung. You know, we parked in the garage. There was some seagull dung where they were all sitting, you know, uh, on, the, uh, on the ledge in front of our car. And so it said, you know, a quarter of a cab, right, of, of seed pod, that's like a cup. So a cup of dove's dung sold for five shekels. It was a lot of money. So imagine trying to feed your family on a quarter of a cup, you know, a cup rather, eight ounces of dove's dung. Oh, yeah, honey, we brought home from the supermarket, we got a donkey's head. Ooh. You know, I don't think even Ryan, being from the woods, would be excited about dinner with dove's dung and donkey's heads, you know. <laughs> Um, maybe other parts of the animal. But you think about that, and that was a lot of money. That, that's how bad off it had gotten because of the siege that was holding them in the city. And in fact, here, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, verse 26, 
A woman cried to him, Help me, my lord, the king. The king replied, If the lord does not help you, where can I get help for you? From the threshing floor? From the wine press? Then he asked her, What's the matter? She answered, This this woman said to me, Give up your son, so we may eat him today. And tomorrow we'll eat my son. So he cooked my son and ate him. The next day I said to her, Give up your son, so we may eat him. But she had hidden him. When the king heard the woman's words, he tore his robes. As he went along the wall, the people looked, and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. He said, May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if the head of Elisha, son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Now Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. The king sent a messenger ahead, but before he arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Don't you see how this murderer is sending somebody to cut off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold it shut against him. Is not the sound of his master's footsteps behind him? While he was still talking to them, the messenger came down to him and and the king said, This disaster is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So it was rough. It's so bad in Israel that the king of Israel can't do anything to keep them from having to eat their children to survive. He's at the point where he no longer trusts God's prophet. He's at the point where he says, you know, I just can't wait. This disaster from the Lord. I can't wait for the Lord any longer. I can't believe. I can't trust in God anymore. It's just too much. It has gotten so bad where it's got down to this point. You know, it's bad enough that we're eating donkey brains. And it's bad enough that we're eating dove's dung. You know, and we're even eating our own children. You know, at this point, it's gotten to the point where I can no longer wait for God. That's rough. Keeps on, let's say. Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a sea of flour, and that is quartz. I forgot, you know, it's in your Bible probably. will sell for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gates of Samaria. The officer on whose the arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven of the heavens, could this happen? You ever thought about that? I am so far down in roughness of life, in challenges. I need to be rescued so bad that I'm down here that even if God decided just to make it all work great for me, it just would take too long. It wouldn't be in time. You know, the waters are rushing out. I'm stuck in them. I, I, I am unrescuable. It reminded me of being out by Winooski last year during the break, you know, the wash-off, whatever we call this, mud season. And the waters were roaring so hard down there that, you know, I, I, I'm scared of heights. I'm scared of a lot of stuff. I, Mike can attest. I'm scared to get anywhere near that rushing of water because I know that if you were to fall in, it would have been unrescuable. You would not have gotten out. And so my mind says, I'm staying way away from that stuff. Going nowhere near that. You don't have to worry about me. I will not be down there. Amen. You know, I think some of you are with me, right? And, you know, Elisha said back to him in in verse 2 there, it says, You will see with your own eyes, answered Elisha, but you won't eat any of it. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why do we stay? Why stay here until we die? If we say we will go into the city, the famine is there, 
and we will die. You know, you're a leper. You're not even allowed in the city where the famine is, right? And if we stay here, we'll die. So let's just go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. And if they spare us, we live. And if they kill us, well, we're going to die anyways. Then we'll die. At dusk, they got up and they went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots. You know, four lepers coming up, right? And they heard chariots. <coughs> and and a great, horses and a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite <coughs> and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. And they left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. <coughs> the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and they drank. <coughs> They carried away silver, gold, clothes, and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. And then they said to each other, We're not doing right. <laughs> I'm kidding. <clears throat> this is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. <clears throat> so they went. And called out to the city gatekeepers. Remember, they're lepers. They can't even get into the city, you know. But God's using them to report on what he's already done. He says, we went to the Aramean camp, and not a man was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys, and the tents left just as they were. The gatekeepers shouted the news, and it was reported within the palace. That's good news, right? Oh my goodness, our oppressors, they've left. So the king, being full of faith and willing to wait on the Lord, said what? He got up in the night and said to his officers, I tell you, the Arameans have done this to us. They know we're starving, so they have left the camp to hide in the countryside, thinking they will surely come out, and then we will take them alive and get into the city. So one of the officers answered, Have some men take five of the horses that are left in the city, Their plight will be like that of all the Israelites left here. Yes, they will only be like all those Israelites who are doomed. So let us send them to find out what happened. How would you like to be picked? You know, we think it's an ambush. You know, we know that Elisha said this, and these lepers came back and said that it's true, but we don't really trust it, so we need five volunteers to go over and check it out. And and they probably said this, well, we're going to die here. You know, that donkey's brains and dove dung didn't taste so hot for dinner last night. <clears throat> it's worth the risk. Let's, let's check it out. Let's try it. <clears throat> so they, they selected two chariots and their horses, and the king sent them after the Aramean army. He commanded the drivers, go and find out what has happened. They followed them as far as, as the Jordan, and they found the whole road strewn with clothing and the equipment the Arameans had thrown away in their headlong flight. So the messengers returned and reported to the king, and then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Arameans. So a sea of flour sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley sold for a shekel, as the Lord had said. Hard to believe, right? So even the king doesn't believe, his officers don't believe, it takes the lepers to believe and go check it out, and the finding is amazing. You know, they were at the point where I mean, they had been not waiting on the Lord. They hadn't, you know, been trusting in God. They were like us sometimes. I know for me, sometimes we can get ourselves in so much of a mess that we just feel like, oh, you know, let me try and figure this out. You know, 
can God really turn it around? You know, could God really open up his floodgates? You know, are his promises really true? Can he really get me out of this situation? You know, maybe it's, you know, we just think about, you know, God just hasn't put the right people around. All there are is lepers to help me out. You know, could he work through lepers? I mean, I guess it'd be okay, you know, if he can work through lepers, he can work through anyone, right? You know, I think it's, and that's what, you know, it, it happened just as the Lord has said. So what, what's the Lord saying to you? What's the Lord saying to me? That I will I trust Him? Can He do this in just a single day? Or is my situation so rough, so down, so low, so bad, so in need of rescue that God cannot deal with it? This a couple of things that just as I was thinking, you know, Genesis, you know, Abraham, we can't have a child. He said, you know what? In a year you're going to have a son, and they did. You know, Pharaoh in Egypt, God says, you know what, you better button down because tomorrow the worst hailstorm you have ever seen is coming. And it did. The worst hailstorm they'd ever experienced. God said, you know what, tomorrow is that day. Uh, God can deliver it. I was just reflecting on this this week. You know, a friend of mine, as I shared last time I spoke, uh, Tunde Gumbiati uh, passed away a few weeks ago, uh, back in the you know, 2nd of April, 1st of April. So I was at his funeral, and you know, and it was, you know, it was, um, it was tough, you know. And hear his family share. His mom, you know, very religious, but not a disciple. One of his sisters, a disciple. The only one, other one in the family, you know. But through the whole time that he had been uh, suffering with cancer, you know, four years since his original diagnosis, you know, uh, Jimmy Maria Rogers, the the, uh, the evangelist there in our region. Uh, back in Boston, had continued just to reach out to, to his mom, love her, encourage her. And so, you know, I was sitting at the funeral a few weeks ago thinking, you know, this is rough on the family, you know. Really, you know, really wish that, pray that the impact will really be there for them. And, you know, and it turned out that his mom started studying the Bible. And so, April 26th, she was baptized. Amen, right? You know, one of his sisters, another sister is also studying the Bible. See, that seemed brutal, right? Great brother, 40 years old, you know, new baby, fairly new, a couple years old. And uh, it just seemed such a tragedy. And yet God was able to use a tragedy to really help others really be able to find him. And see, God's faithful to us uh, when we're seeking him. Now, I was... uh, in my, I wanted to just ask you my second point. So uh, my second point and last point is that God believes uh, that you can believe. I have my clock here, so it's too long. So there's some guys in the Bible that you may or may not know. So I don't know if you've heard these names before. Uh, Shamua. I want to say Snapchat, but that's not what it says. <laughs> Egal. Palti, uh, Gadiel, Gadi, Amamiel, Sether, Nabi, and Gul. So these guys are in the Bible. My name's in the Bible too, but I personally am not in the Bible. <laughs> um, I'd be, normally you'd be fired up if your name was in the Bible. But they were part of a group of folks. Uh, there's two others that you'll probably remember, Joshua and Caleb. <clears throat> Uh, so they were a group together, and they were given a task, you know, by God to go check out the promised land. So we'll, we'll take a look at that here in Numbers. 
So Numbers 13, the Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders, so that the Lord's so at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran, and all of them were leaders of the Israelites. So they, as you recall, they, 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 uh, the Exodus, they went out of Egypt, they went the parting of the Red Sea, they, they had some struggles. They weren't necessarily the greatest faithless group of guys and men and women that ever escaped Egypt by miracles of God that you would have expected, right? And yet God still, he brings them up to the promised land. He says, go check it out. And so the names I listed before, and we'll skip ahead to uh, Numbers uh, 13, 16, those were the 12 people uh, that Moses selected uh, at God's command to go out and explore this new promised land. So in verse 17, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up to the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it, on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. You know, here it might be maple season, right? You know, bring back some, you know, some sugar, right? <coughs> so they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehab toward Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ammon, Seshe, and Talmud, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron has been, had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. And I wonder if the name came before or after, because valley of Eshkol means valley of cluster of grapes, for what it's worth. Two of them carried it on a pole. A cluster of grapes. And two people had to carry it on a stick, like it was like a deer. <laughs> and it was huge, right? And uh, where did I go here? Um, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes that the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of, with milk excuse me, sorry, the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are... People there... Sorry. ...are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land before we certainly can do it. Well, why do you think Caleb said, We can certainly do it? Because God said, Here's the land that I'm giving to you. So when God gives a promise, you can trust it. You can believe it. You can count on it. You can take it to the bank. You may not know how hard it's going to be, but you can count that God is going to do it. And that's all Caleb said, is that we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him, verse 31, said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread, and then they, they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, 
The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great, of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. Giants, basically. And we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They're going to wait on the Lord, or you know, wait on Moses and Aaron. These guys are crazy. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly that gathered there. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And then in verse 11, The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe, to trust in me, in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them? You think about it. God brought them out of Egypt. God delivered miracles and plagues against Pharaoh. And part of the Red Sea destroyed the Egyptian army. They escaped. They escaped. You know, they still rebelled against God, and yet, still forgiving them, He brings them to the promised land uh, and shows it to them to see if they would trust in Him. They, they surveyed it. It was awesome. And yet, the grumbling overtook them. You know, you think about that. There's definitely a parallel here with us and Jesus, right? You know, God has taken us in spite of our sins, in spite of our shortcomings, even though we totally need to be rescued, right? We need, we need that salvation. And yet God says, here it is. I believe in you. I trust, I, I am entrusting this salvation to you. And their response here was, you know, we can't believe in God. We can't trust Him. You know, we think it's going to be so bad. We think that our women and children are going to be taken and plunder, and we're going to die uh, under the sword. You know, bottom line is that we, we cannot trust in God. Amazing. You know, we have the same challenge. God gives us the opportunity to enter the promised land. You know, He calls us to believe in Jesus, to live our lives for Him, and to trust that He has our best interests in mind to follow Jesus and walk as he did. The rewards are great. They were great in this passage here in Numbers. The consequences are severe, right? But the one who didn't trust in our text had severe consequences. You know the ten spies? Remember their names? I don't either. They were killed you know, in a few days. Basically, God killed the ten for their lack of belief. Everyone who over the age of 20 grumbled died in the desert. Basically, God said, we're going to take as many days as you spied out the land, 40 days, we're going to turn that into 40 years of wandering in the desert until you get to come into the promised land. Because during that time, everybody over the age of 20 who grumbled uh, is going to die. 
And so they were afraid of dying at the sword and they ended up dying in the desert. Um, the ones who didn't grumble, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Can you imagine how Caleb felt? We know from when they enter, Caleb was 85 years old. He's, you know, famously, we remember that he said, I'm just as vigorous today as I was then. I personally think that probably was a little bit of a stretch of the truth. But maybe not, you know, it is the scripture. So, But think about it, I'm 45 years old, and I go in, I do the right thing for God, and what's the outcome? I wait for 40 years as everybody that I knew who was my peer group all die in the desert, the ones that grumbled. And we wait for 40 years until they're all gone before we finally get to enter into God's promised land. Oh, man. You know, and I love in verse 24, it says, My servant Caleb, this is the Lord speaking, has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. I I just translate that. He trusts me. He believes. That's all God is wanting us to do is to trust and believe in him. I want to share with you a story, actually, um, that happened. Let's see if this is going to work. Okay. Uh, um, you know, I have some friends, you know, uh, uh, Joe and Ellen DiBiase. Uh, they've been up here once or twice, once I think, and some of you have met them. Um, and we've known them since our kids were little. You know, we have kids very much, you know, the similar ages. You know, our, our oldest son and their daughter, uh, Rachel, is about the same. You know, my, my daughter Katie is about Eric, Erica's age, their middle daughter. And their son, Evan, is 25. You know, he's a year younger than my Stephanie. So, very similar. You know, we never were in, like, you know, the same family group. You know, we, we led different groups and different... But we, we sort of, you know, were close friends as best you can be in that situation. You know, and, uh, and along the way, you know, our kids struggle with their faith, right? Their kids struggle with their faith. And, um, you know, really left them at a point where the, the kids weren't faithful to God. And... Um, you know, as you can imagine, that's hard on you when you invest your faith in your kids, in your kids' faith, trying to encourage them, build them up spiritually. And so, you know, every Christian parent, you know, prays that their kids will be faithful to God. That's really on our hearts, right? So over the past few years, it's been encouraging, you know, for Joe and Ellen, first their older daughter, you know, came back, decided to be, you know, follow God. She was baptized. It was uh, great to see that. And then maybe a year later, her middle, their middle daughter came back. But it just seemed like, you know, Evan wasn't really that interested. In fact, when I was down in Boston a couple weeks ago for the funeral, saw Evan, talked to Joe about it. He said, you know, Evan is, you know, He's, uh, he's living with us. You know, we're having good talks, but, you know, things aren't going. They're going okay, right? So a week ago on Friday, you know, Joe just sent me a text with a video in it. So I wanted to play the video for you. So let's see. The sound, the sound work? It was supposed to be set up, but... Well, wait a sec while Chris plugs in the sound wire. Cue the sound man. Oh no, it's on. It's on whatever laptop is. Oh, we'll go on without the sound. That's okay, Chris. So I'll just I'll just give you the sound, you know, overlay, right? So here's Joe and Evan, uh, and Joe basically just said that he was encouraged, obviously, that uh, his son had made a decision to uh, to become a Christian to get baptized. Very exciting, you know, and it's fun as we get here a little bit as they come out of the water. And you get to see the reaction of the whole family. 
because this was, you know, basically what Joe was telling me is that as he talked with Evan, Evan said, you know what was really different for me? It wasn't, you know, all the things you did or the rules you made or all that stuff, but it was your love for me. And the fact that you loved me and cared for me and, you know, and wanted me to have that relationship with God that you trusted in God. Now watch there, just the response of the girls I thought was just incredible. You know, the fact that their brother was restored because of their trust in God. They believed in God. That God was able to do to do it. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Love always believes. Amen.